Second Chronicles chapter number 5. Tonight I want to preach a message that I hope will be very, very applicable to your life. And I want to give you some things that are going to be very practical that you can implement that I believe will help our church life and your personal walk with Christ. Some things that I believe are necessary for us to worship the Lord like we should. Worship many times can be an elusive and a mysterious thing. And yet the Word of God gives us very clearly some things that have to be in their proper place for us to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Worship is not something that happens on accident, but it's something that results from deliberate obedience and submission to the Lord. And tonight I want us to look at the consecration and dedication of the temple that was built by Solomon. And I've given a short title to this message uh, to Nick so that he can give us a title that will actually fit on a CD or a DVD, amen, Seven Things for the Glory to Fall. But if I was to give you a more full title, it would be Seven Things that Must Be in Their Proper Place for the Glory to Fall and to Fill the Temple or the House of God. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And you won't have to look for all that uh, on the CD. But that really, to me, is the most descriptive title that I could give to this sermon. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place. I want you to underscore that phrase, unto his place. It doesn't say unto its place, but unto his place. To the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves of the ark, that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle. But they were not seen without, and there it was, there it is unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb, when the children, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jejethon, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. 
It came even to pass as the trumpets and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Now notice this, that then, now underscore that, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Would you pray with me this evening? Heavenly Father, use your word, Lord. I pray that it would convict hearts. Show us where we stand at all with thee. Lord, that you'd do a work in our lives that would not soon be forgotten. Father, that you'd teach us from your word how to worship you and to be pleasing unto you in your presence. Father, I pray that if there's one amongst us that's lost, that you'd convict them and show them their need of you. Father, help us all as we leave this place to have a greater hunger and thirsting for Your presence and Your power. Father, we love and thank You for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As I read this passage, we find a historical fact set before us concerning the dedication of Solomon's temple and the unusual manifestation of the Lord that took place shortly after this dedication. Uh, But I want to draw your attention to those two little words that are used in uh, verse number 13. The Bible says that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. You know, if I could just be very blunt, let me say that worship doesn't happen on accident. Anybody that comes to church hoping to worship the Lord by accident isn't going to worship the Lord. Uh, It takes preparation. In fact, as we read this passage, we find it took a lot of preparation. If you were to read the chapters previous to this, you'd find that a lot more preparation took place than what we're going to talk about tonight. But I want to give you seven things this evening that I believe we have to do in preparation to worship the Lord. Now, you say, seven? Preacher, we're never getting out of here. Well, don't worry. I live farther away than some of you, and i got to swim home tonight as well, so I'm going to try to be very brief. But let me just say that each and every believer ought to approach the house of God in preparation for worship. It doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen because somebody sang a good song. It doesn't happen because a preacher preached a good message. It doesn't happen because a church is a friendly place. But true worship takes place because God's people have prepared themselves to worship the Lord. And all through the Word of God, you'll find in the Old Testament law that before the priests ever entered to minister, it took preparation. In fact, it's alluded at in the passage that they had already been sanctified, so they didn't have to be sanctified at that immediate moment. You see, the priests had to go through a process before they were able to minister to the Lord. You know, the Bible calls us a royal priesthood. I believe in the priesthood of the believer, meaning that we need no man to go before us before the presence of God because we have a high priest that goes before the presence of God and that you and I in many ways function as priests tending to our own relationship between us and the Lord. But don't think for one moment that there's any less preparation that needs to take place in our lives if we're going to fellowship with the Lord and worship Him. It's funny the way we approach worship. You know, we put a lot of effort into many of the secular things in life. Now, I want you to listen very closely to what I'm about to say. Many times, 
Whenever we have to go to work, uh, we make preparations. We go to bed at a certain time. We prepare our lunch. We lay our clothes out. We clear our schedule. Now, how many, how silly would it be for us to plan something in the midst of our work day that we didn't have time to go do? We don't do that. We make preparations for our work week. The same thing would be said about special events that's going to take place, birthday parties that we might go to, or uh, special outings that we might go to for fellowship and fun. We set aside time. We make preparations for it. We pick out our clothes. We take a shower, some of us, amen. And uh, we set aside the time. Maybe we have to spend a particular amount of money on the activity, and so we set it aside and we make preparations. Now, if you were going to have a birthday party for your child or grandchild but didn't prepare for it, can I be very honest, that birthday party would never happen. The day that you were hoping to have the birthday party would come and go, but if no one bought a cake, there wouldn't be cake. If no one hung streamers, there wouldn't be streamers. If no one invited children, there wouldn't be children. You see, anything takes a certain amount of preparation. But it's funny, we view God's house as though if we just show up, something will happen. And let me say, if you don't show up, certainly nothing's going to happen. But it's not just enough to show up. We have to put some effort into it. There has to be some energy expended. Of all of these things that had been uh, done in preparation, we find that in this passage are seven things in particular that are given uh, right before the glory of the Lord filled the house and fell upon the temple. And by the way, Do you know that up until that moment, this temple wasn't really a temple? Uh, Just because we got four walls and pews doesn't mean we have church. I'll tell you what makes church take place. What did the Bible say that is the hope of glory? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can I tell you that for the church house, it's much the same way as for the temple of our bodies. Uh, just because we've got four walls and pews and a pulpit doesn't mean we have church. What makes church church is when the Lord manifests Himself, when the Lord speaks to hearts, when the Lord is present. You see, that's what we're doing here. We're not just worshiping at a shrine, but we're meeting with a risen, living Savior. And this building was a beautiful building, but it wasn't the house of the Lord until the Lord met with them. And this building was meticulously constructed with divine plans and structure. But it wasn't a temple until the Lord met with them. Just because we have a scriptural church, that doesn't mean that the Lord is going to meet with us. Now, I promise you, if we don't have a scriptural church, the Lord isn't going to meet with us. But just because we've got all of our I's dotted and our T's crossed, that doesn't mean the Lord's going to meet with us. It takes preparation. Uh, This temple was built according to divine blueprints, given of God. But it wasn't the house of the Lord until the Lord met with them there. And so as we come to the house of the Lord on Sundays and on Wednesdays, our hearts ought to be in anticipation of the Lord meeting with us. We're not just coming to hear a sermon. Now, I know how much every one of you just loves me dearly and, and idolizes me and just hangs on every word that this preacher says. But we ought not come to hear the preaching. I appreciate the good singing. That song was Pat sang, Blessed My Heart. And every time we have a special singer sing, it blesses my heart. And the choir singing, oh, it's so wonderful. And certainly a church needs good music and Christ-honoring music. But you ought not come just to hear good singing. You know, there's a lot of churches in town, that's the only reason people go to church is to hear singing. Uh, we ought to come to fellowship. We ought to come to meet with each other. We ought to come to enjoy Christian fellowship and talk about the things of the Lord. But that's not why you ought to come to church. 
The main reason you should come to church is to meet with the Lord. For Him to do a work in your heart and to speak to you. And we find in this passage that when all these things were in their proper place, that the Lord was willing to meet with His people. I won't delay any further. I'm just going to give them to you very quickly and just say a few words about each of them. Notice verse number 1 with me once more. The Bible says, Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Now, if you were to read earlier in these passages, you would find that the gold and the silver had come from the pockets of the people of Israel. And so they had given these things as a tithe as an, and as an offering unto the Lord. And finally, these things were put in their proper place. They had been given with the temple in mind. They had sacrificed of their own with the building of the temple in mind. And finally, at this moment, all the gold, all the silver, all of the brass, all of the things that had been given were put in their proper place. Can I say, and I know it's not popular, but I, I wouldn't love you and be, and, and be doing you right if I didn't tell you that giving must be in its proper place before we can worship. I promise you that uh, you say, why does the Lord make such a big deal out of giving? By the way, do you know that money is talked about more in uh, the New Testament than just about any other subject? I know we don't like to talk about money uh, because we all have at least a little bit for the most part. But do you know that the reason the Lord talks so much about giving is because He knows that most Baptists hold their wallet so close to their heart that if He's ever going to get a hold of their heart, He's going to have to go through their wallet to do it. That's the truth of the matter. The fact is, money is so dear to us, and we live in a monetary society. There was a time when people lived in, in this country in an agricultural society. People farmed and provided for their families in that way. But nowadays, if you don't have some of that green stuff, you're not going to get anything done in this world. And it's become so dear to us. We no longer worship the Almighty God in this country, but the Almighty dollar. And let me tell you something, church-going people are just as bad about it as anyone. We must be willing to give of ourselves financially to the Lord and to His work if we're ever going to worship the Lord properly. The Bible gives us the pattern for tithing uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and actually, tithing predates Old Testament law. The Bible teaches us that Abraham uh, gave tithes to Melchizedek before the law was ever instituted. But uh, let, let me just rattle your cage a little bit. Do you know that this notion of 10% no more, no less was never, never part of Old Testament law? Now, 10% was the minimum they were commanded to give, but the Bible speaks consistently of tithes and offering. Can I tell you that as you go to the New Testament, that tithing in the proper context, understanding of it in the Old Testament, is never mentioned after Calvary. Giving is mentioned consistently. But this notion of, Lord, I've given you 10%, and now that's all that I owe you, friend, that is nowhere found in the New Testament. What does the Bible say? The Bible says they gave themselves. The Bible says that they sold property that they had that they might give to the church. And by the way, before we get so judgmental about Ananias and Sapphira, I'd be curious to know, and you don't have to raise your hand. In fact, don't raise your hand. Your giving's between you and God. But just examine your own heart and ask yourself this. Have I ever been willing to sell a piece of property to give to the Lord? 
The fact of the matter is we get so down on Ananias and Sapphira, but most of uh, Ananias and Sapphira would have outgiven most of us to the Lord's cause. Now, I know it isn't popular. I know we don't like to talk about it, and probably most people feel like they're giving more than they can afford to now. And if you do, good. That's what real New Testament grace giving is. Uh, the fact is, until we're giving, until it hurts, we're not really giving as the Lord would have us to give. It's a matter of faith. If, if we're giving uh, as our budget allows, we're not having faith. Uh, I believe in what we might call, and don't associate this with a certain heretical church in town, uh, because this terminology has nothing to do with that church, but I believe in what we might call faith promise giving. You say, preacher, what is that? Faith promise giving is saying, Lord, you lay on my heart what you would have me to give. And I'm going to give that no matter how much it is. And then I'm going to have faith that you're going to make a way for whatever bills I might have beyond that. You say, preacher, are you saying that every one of us ought to sign over our whole paycheck at the end of the week? Well, let me say this. First off, no, that's not what I'm saying. Secondly, I promise you that if you did it in a cheerful heart and it was what the Lord wanted you to do, you wouldn't go hungry. I promise you that. But beyond that, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. We need to throw out this idea of, Lord, I've given you 10%, so that's all that I owe you. And you say, preacher, how much should I give? That's between you and God. It's between you and God. You allow Him to lay on your heart what to give. And I found in my own experience, in my own walk with the Lord, that my giving to the Lord is an ever-increasing thing. I've never reached a place where I felt like, Lord, I've given enough or given too much for you. I don't need to pray about what you would have me to give. In the New Testament, it was a constant principle. Constant principle. As you increase in your faith, you increase in your giving. And until you get this thing of your giving tackled, you're never really going to know what worshiping the Lord is. Until that gets out of your way, out of your heart's way, and out of your mind's way, until you come to the place where every single penny that you own and every single penny that the Lord will ever give you has been given over to the Lord in your heart and mind and allow Him to let you keep what He wants you to keep. Until you get to that point, you're never really going to know what worshiping the Lord is. We've got to get to a place where our giving is in its proper place. Look at verse number 2 with me. The Bible says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, uh, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, now notice this, Wherefore all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. I want to say, secondly, your giving has to be in its proper place. But I want to say that the people have to be in their proper place. The Bible teaches that all of the children of Israel were gathered to this. And I believe that if you're ever going to worship the Lord, let me be careful how I phrase this. I'm not saying that God won't meet with you outside of the church walls, because He will. But let me say that the proper location for New Testament worship is within the walls of the local New Testament church. We have a lot of people that wonder why church is not better than it is. And let me say that I'm proud of this church. I love this church. I believe we worship the Lord at Wall Ridge. But, you know, if you're not in the house of God and a part of the worship service, you're not going to worship the Lord. They had to be in their proper place if they wanted to see the glory fill the place. And let me go a little further than that. 
you know, a lot of times we get the notion, well, if I'm not in church, I'm not going to get blessed. And that's very true. But let me go further and say, if you're not in church, there's a good chance somebody else ain't going to get blessed. Sometimes we're a little too narrow-minded about our scope of influence. Let me take myself out of the role of pastor for a moment. Try to put myself in the role of, of a church member that sits in a pew and listens to some boring preacher get up and drone on 45 minutes. You know that you not being in the Lord's house can affect someone else. It can discourage someone else. It's funny, we all have the same habit as we sit there. Every time we hear the door open, and it doesn't matter who it is, we all do it. When we hear the door open, we all turn around and look. You know why? We're wondering who's walking in. I, I say this as a pastor, but also as a Christian, that it blesses my heart to see God's people come into God's house. And uh, you'll find most churches have uh, various shifts. I don't know why that is, but there's a first shift, a second shift, a third shift. Most places, and I guess we're no different than, than a lot of other places, if we had everybody here on one day, we'd have to build. Amen? Uh, but it seems as though it's difficult to get people on the same page. And uh, people say, well, you know, sometimes it's just hard to make the Lord's house. And I know sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. I grew up with a pastor that was 82 years old in feeble health, lived 20 minutes from church, and I never knew of him to miss a single service. I'm not griping. I'm just merely saying that if we're going to worship the Lord, we have to get to the place where being in the Lord's house is our priority. And uh, let me go a little further in, in saying this. When you tackle that, I remember talking to a church member one time, and he said something that struck me. He said, when you make up your mind to go to church, that's a decision you make one time. I kind of was puzzled. I looked at him. I said, what do you mean? He said, most people have an ongoing debate every time the church service comes up. Am I going to go to church? I was blessed to grow up in a house where we did not have that debate. <laughs> we never said, what are we doing Sunday morning? My daddy had made up his mind years ago, we're going to go to church. And then things happen. Things providentially happen. There's no question. Sometimes you get sick. You get sick, we don't want you here. Amen? And uh, sometimes things happen. There's no question about that. But I found this, that when you've made up your mind, when the Lord's house is having service, when the doors are open, I'm going to be there to the best of my ability every single time. When times come that you're providentially hindered, you'll find your heart doesn't condemn you about it. You'll find that, that you don't lay awake at night feeling guilty over it because you know if you could have been there, you would have been there. You'll find people don't look at you cross-eyed when you show up to church wondering where you were because they know that if you could have been there, you would have been there. You see, it's a decision that you make one time that when church time comes around, I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm not going to find any other. And then when things happen, as they most certainly will, you'll find that, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, if our heart condemn us not, you'll find that your heart won't condemn you. The people have to be in their proper place. Whether you're in the Lord's house or not affects not only you and your walk with the Lord, but it affects others. Our absence from the Lord's house can be a hindrance to the Holy Spirit and to others being able to worship the Lord. But look at verse 6. The Bible says, "...also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be told nor numbered for multitude." Look at the phrase at the beginning of the verse again. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel. In other words, everybody that was there sacrificed. Now, why did they sacrifice? They sacrificed because, number three, their hearts were in the proper place. For us to really worship the Lord, 
our hearts have to be in an attitude of worship. And say, preacher, what do you mean by that? When we come into the Lord's house, our hearts have to be tender to the Lord. If we come into church with an attitude of, okay, here's another service, let's let's get it out of the way. Where am I going to eat at? What am I going to do? Am I going to make it home in time to take a nap? If that's our attitude, we're not going to worship the Lord. And it should be no surprise to us when the Lord doesn't meet with us because our hearts are not in it. All the people sacrificed because all the people were in an attitude to meet with the Lord. They anticipated the Lord doing something in their hearts. And when we walk through those doors, the doors of any church that we go into, our attitude ought to be, Lord, I am here to meet with You. My heart is submitted to You. God, whatever You speak to me, I'll listen, I'll obey, I'll heed. Isn't it funny how picky we are? We say, Lord, we want You to meet with us. But if He's not talking the language we want Him to talk, If He's not telling us what we want Him to tell us, we don't want to hear it. Boy, isn't that some way to treat the Lord? We ought to be thrilled to hear from Him, even if He's convicting us. Even if He's taking us and nailing us to the wall over something in our life, we ought to be anxious to hear from Him. He's the God of creation. He's the Almighty God. He's the Spirit. He's the Comforter. He's the One that guides us into all truth. And yet, sometimes we get picky about what He's going to speak to our hearts. Our hearts have to be in their proper place. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto His place. I like that. Unto His place. To the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. I want to say our giving has to be in its proper place, and the people have to be in their proper place. Our hearts have to be in their proper place. But I want to say that the Lord has to be in His proper place. As long as the Lord is not being lifted up, as long as the Lord is not being exalted, as long as the Lord is not being praised and honored and given all of the credit and glory for our lives, we're never going to worship the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was a picture of the presence of God. The Bible consistently, consistently, consistently denotes the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord as synonymous. Both of them are connected with the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a picture of God dwelling amongst the children of Israel and amongst His people. And until we get to the place that what the Lord wants in our lives is the most important thing, until we get to the place, hey, let let me step on a couple toes, just a couple, just a couple. Let me say that until when we come to church, the priority is not that we get seen. The priority is not that we get bragged on. The priority is not that everybody shakes our hand, that everybody says our name. But until we get to the place where the priority, when we come to the Lord's house, is that the Lord be magnified, we're not going to worship. We might talk about worshiping. We might pretend that we worship. We might tell people we worship. But we won't really have met with the Lord until the priority is for the Lord to be lifted up and exalted. So, preacher, why do you got such a problem with the contemporary movement? Because they're doing the opposite of what I'm commanded to do. I'm commanded to lift the Lord up. They're trying to pull Him down. I'm commanded to preach His holiness. They're trying to preach His humanity. You see, the Word of God teaches that the person of Jesus Christ is the focal point of worship and of the Lord's house always. You say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? What did He say? He said that He'll speak of me. That's what Christ said about the Holy Spirit. He'll speak of me. He'll testify of me. He'll he'll point people to me. The truth is, a true Holy Ghost-filled worship is always going to lift up the Lord. It will never magnify the Holy Spirit, but it will always magnify the Lord of glory. 
So we've got to get to the place where when we come to the Lord's house, we recognize whose house it is. It's His house. We're here to meet with Him. We're not here to be comfortable. We're not here to meet with people. We're here to meet with Him. And you say, preacher, are you saying we should be uncomfortable? No, we do what we can. We, we've got heating and air. We've got padded pews. We've got nice facilities. I believe they're nice anyways. And, and we ought to be comfortable in that sense. But the reason you're at the Lord's house is not for a social meeting or a social club. It's to meet with the Lord. It's not that you might get out of here in early time. It's that you might meet with the Lord. It's not that you might have a good time, even though I promise you if you meet with the Lord, you'll have a good time, but it's that you might meet with the Lord. That's the priority. So we see that the Lord has to be in His proper place. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, There was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. I want to say that not only does the Lord have to be in His proper place, but the Word has to be in its proper place. The commandments of God that had been placed in the Ark of the Covenant were still there within the Ark of the Covenant. And they are shown as far as priority and preeminence to be equal and synonymous with the person of God. They're sitting in the same place that God's sitting. Until we come to a place where the Word of God is given priority and preeminence in the church service, we're never going to truly worship. We had a good service Sunday night, and uh, I, I always love... Uh, services whenever there's singing and testimonies and, and the Lord just really speaks to heart and that blesses hearts and that blesses my heart. And we had one of those services on Sunday night. And uh, I don't mind us having a service w- without preaching if in the context of it, it's just that the glory has filled the temple so much that we can't minister. But I believe that preaching always ought to be the centerpiece of what's done in church life. Every time we have a youth event, for the most part, we have preaching. Uh, Any time that we have a get-together, I believe it's vital that we have preaching. Whenever we go up to camp this summer, I love camp and I love the fun that we get to have there. Uh, But I'm very thankful, and it's always been this way. I didn't make it this way, but it was like this before I came here. And I praise the Lord for Richard and Joy and wonderful camp directors and and Larry and Debbie and Curtis and and everybody that has a part in camp and all the newer people that are coming and having a part in it. Whenever I came, preaching was already the preeminent focus of our church camp, and it ought to be. You see, everything that the church does, preaching ought to be the centerpiece of it. Because the Bible doesn't say that it was by the power of of singing or fellowship or dinners. And the Bible doesn't say it was by the power of fun and games. And there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But the Bible says it was by the foolishness of preaching. That's how those that are saved believe on His name. That's how God's chosen preaching to accomplish His work in this world. Let me say, when you come into the Lord's house, we ought to come in with an attitude of submission to the Word of God. That means whatever the Lord speaks to us about, we say, Lord, whatever it is, I'll obey. When we come into the Lord's house, our attitude ought to be, I am here for the Lord to put me on His examination table. I'm here so He can take my life, open it up, take my heart, open it up, walk in and out of the avenues of my life and point out areas that I need to walk closer to Him in and things in my life that I need to give over to Him. That's what it means to have the Word of God in its proper place. I want to give you two more things. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait. By course. Not only does the Word of God have to be in its proper place, but our lives have to be in their proper place. Let me tell you the problem I have with a lot of modern day um, charismatic theology 
It teaches that you can live how you want on Saturday and come in on Sunday morning and meet with the Lord. I'll tell you what prevents most people from meeting with the Lord on Sunday morning more than anything. It's got to do with what they did between Monday and Saturday. If your heart's not clean, the Lord's not going to meet with you. If your life is not clean, the Lord's not going to meet with you. And I'll tell you, you ever had, you ever had one of your children just play dumb on you before? You ever had that happen? Tried to play dumb on you? You said, you know what you did. And they said, uh-uh. But you know better. I'll tell you, the best thing to do is just whip them right then for lying. Amen. But uh, you, know they've done, you know that Christians today, we have a tendency to play dumb. We know what's wrong in our lives many times. We know areas where we're not surrendered to the Lord. But you know what we do? We look at it and we say, well, I'm human. No, you're sanctified. Well, I'm human. No, you're a child of God. Though your flesh is the reason that you sin, it's not an excuse to sin. Paul said, what should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let me tell you something. God shows you something in your life that's sin. You have a responsibility to deal with it and get it out of your life. You can make every excuse in the world as to why you can do it. And it's okay and it's no problem. But that's not going to fly with the Lord. Don't expect for one moment to meet with Him on Sunday morning if you've not been meeting with Him Monday through Saturday. Don't expect for one moment for the Lord to show up and show out in, in our service. It doesn't matter how good of a song somebody sings or how good of a sermon I might preach. It doesn't matter uh, how good a fellowship we might have or how friendly people are. It doesn't matter if we have an altar prayer. It does not matter if God's people are not walking with Him. He will not meet with them. We have to have our lives in their proper place. I want to give you a last thing. I'm going to hush. Look with me at verse number 13. The Bible says, And it came even to pass as the trumpeters. Notice it says as. I like that. You know what that means? That means while they were doing this, in, in the moments that the trumpeters were playing and the singers were singing, in, in this moment, that's when the Lord filled the temple. It says, And it came, to pa- it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord when they lifted up their voice with their trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. I want to say finally, and I'm going to hush, I'm not even going to say a lot about it, that their praise had to be in its proper place for them to worship. I believe it would be good for every single... uh, starch-shirted, stuffy-nosed Baptists to just get beside themselves and worship at least once, don't you? Until we get to the place where we get over being so dignified. And that's really the problem. We've gotten to a place where, where, where being dignified has become a priority to worship. Well, what will people think if I shout? Well, who cares what they think? What will people think if I cry, if I get emotional? They'll probably think that the Lord's meeting with you. They'll probably think that the Lord's doing a work in your heart. Well, what what will people think if I go to the altar? They'll think you're obedient to the Lord. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praise of Israel. Israel is His people, and we're His people. I believe that until people get to a place where they're willing to praise the Lord... You say, are you telling me, preacher, I have to run laps? No. I'm telling you, if you refuse to run laps, there's a problem. You say, preacher, I, are you telling me that I'm going to weep and cry? No, I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying as long as you've got this hang-up about being too emotional in the house of God, you're never really going to worship the Lord in liberty. Until you get to a place where you're willing to let the Lord take control of your heart and life. I'm not talking about disorder. I'm not talking about wildfire. I like what the preacher said. Everybody worries about wildfire, but there's enough wet blankets and most Baptist churches put out any wildfire that might take place. Until you get to the place where you're willing for the Lord to take over in your heart and life, you're never going to worship the Lord. Not everybody's created the same. You know, we say all men are created equal. Apparently they ain't seen how good looking I am. Amen? I'm not saying everybody's going to jump a pew and run an aisle. and I'm not saying everybody's going to have a big emotional manifestation. I'm saying that if you're hung up, if you're scared to get too emotional in the Lord's house, if you're hung up on what people think, you're not going to worship the Lord. You've got to get to a place where you'll praise the Lord and give honor to Him. And I don't think there's anything wrong with people getting a little emotional in the house of God. You've heard people say it before, and I'll say it, I'll second it, that as long as you're talking a language I can understand, there's not a lot you could do that upset me. Until we, And you know, you go through the Bible, you'll find that when God's people met with the Lord, it was usually an emotional thing. You know that? I'm not saying it's just emotion, but God's made us to be emotional creatures. He's created us with emotions. And you'll find that when they dedicated the temple at another time, the Bible says that they lift up their voice and they wept and they cried. <laughs> the Bible says, what did Paul say about it? He said, I would that all men everywhere would lift up holy hands unto the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think there's too little of it in churches nowadays. And do you know that when you do that, there's a good chance you're going to quench the Holy Spirit? You know, there's a lot of people in church services... They might raise their hand and praise the Lord, but they're waiting on somebody else to do it first. Uh, we see it all the time with, with altar calls. There's not a lot of services that I don't give an opportunity for those that have loved ones that need the Lord to come down and pray that I don't give that opportunity. And let me give you just a little bit of pastoring 101, what little bit I've learned. You know why I do that? Because I found out that it's easier for people to go to the altar if somebody else has gone first. And so it's important and vital that we pray for our loved ones that need the Lord uh, at every opportunity that we get. But I know that usually there's some that will come down and will meet with the Lord. And it's not a matter of having a show. And it's not a matter of having people in the altars every time. But you and I both know that many times people don't want to go to the altar if nobody else is God. You see, people pay attention to what people around them are doing. I've seen services be right at the brink of the Lord really cutting loose and doing a work in our hearts and in our service. And then you can see it. Somebody stifles and quenches the Holy Spirit because they're afraid somebody's going to think they're silly or they're emotional. I like what old B.R. Lakin said. I'll close with this thought. He was preaching in a church one time. And, uh, it was a real stuffy, formal church, and it was up north. <clears throat> I'm not saying all Yankees aren't right with the Lord. I'm just saying I ain't found one that is yet. Amen. But uh, he was preaching up there. and Eventually there was this little lady, little older lady in the congregation that got beside herself and started to started to cry a little bit, raise her hand, praise the Lord. Uh, she started to get a little beside herself, and Dr. Lakin looked down at her as he was preaching. He said, you go ahead and help yourself, lady, but just be careful for all that ice right there in the middle aisle where everything's so cold in here, you know. Afterwards, uh, somebody came up to him and said, Dr. Lakin, I'm sorry for that lady that got so beside herself. said, she's nervous. Dr. Lakin looked at her and said, Yes, yeah, she's nervous. She's so nervous she don't gamble. She's so nervous she don't drink. She's so nervous she don't go out to the parties on Saturday night. He said, What we need in this church is a few more nervous people. 
truth of the matter is we need to get to a place where we're willing to let the Lord do a work in our hearts no matter what it is.